All right, my guest today on the A-Game podcast is none other than the world-famous David Green, who's the co-host of the Bigger Pockets podcast. He's also written a bunch of books, including the Burr book and countless others. He is also the head of a very successful David Green team out in Northern California. He can help you with any of your real estate needs in Northern California, as well as any of your mortgage needs in, Nor- in Northern California. So definitely go to the show notes and uh, look him up. He's on Instagram at davidgreen24, G-R-E-E-N-E, and you'll see the links for his sites. Uh, he puts out a ton of content. Obviously, if you don't know about the Bigger Pockets podcast, I don't know what to tell you. It's probably the biggest podcast in the world as far as uh, real estate goes. Those guys are putting out tons of content on YouTube, on social media. They're absolutely just killing it. They have a huge community, have a great reputation. So it was really an honor to have him come on. Um, you know, I've been listening to him for a long time. It was great to be able to go on their podcast as well. And uh, he was just an easy guy to talk to. We, we hit it off really well. We have a lot of uh, similar backgrounds as far as uh, law enforcement, real estate, jujitsu, all the same thing. So talking to him and talking to Brandon Turner has been absolutely awesome. It was a, a huge uh, moment for me and for the podcast. And it was a absolute honor being on there. So I think that comes out today as well. So I wanted to make sure I put out David Green's as well. I apologize for not getting one out on Monday. I'll be more consistent with the things. It's just been a little crazy traveling and whatnot. So I also wanted to say that if you're looking for a an extra little tidbit here, I did put together a due diligence checklist of ways to add more value to you if you're a realtor or a wholesaler that you will be able to provide things to your buyers or to your clients that might assist. It'll be a little bit of extra work for you, but it's absolutely something I do and it helps me stick out from the competition. Um, they asked about it when I was on the Bigger Pockets podcast. So I put together a link. If anybody wants it for free, it's www.nicknicknick.com slash bigger pockets. And when you go on there, it's a free checklist. And again, you could pick up the ebook that I will be adding actually a chapter to. I, I got to get that done. Um, you know, ebook's nothing special, just something I uh, transcribed through uh, uh, something that we did, some updates on the things you need to look for in the market and some things that you should be aware of. So if you just take the basic topics of it and just know that you need to make sure you're monitoring some of those things to make sure that when they adjust, you're paying attention to it so you don't get caught when the market moves, you can get that for free as well. So nicknicknick.com slash biggerpockets, grab the due diligence checklist of ways to provide more value to your buyers and clients as a real estate agent or as a real estate wholesaler. And um, there's some extra things on there too. So hopefully you guys jump on, take a look at that. I also started putting together a Facebook group uh, for the A-game listeners and for people just in my real estate circles that uh, we're going to start populating. So hopefully between that stuff and between some of these bigger guests that are coming on, you guys are enjoying and starting to get some value out of this. we got some big properties closing. So again, there'll be a plug during the episode. If you're looking to get involved in any real estate, you want to buy properties from me, sell properties to me, partner up on some rentals, some fix and flips, some multifamily, some mobile home parks. We can do all that stuff. So I think you guys are going to love this episode with David Green. He gave me chills a couple of times with some really great uh, analogies and he's just a uh, Great talker, great content. He's got a ton of experience and he's talked to the cream of the crop as far as business entrepreneurs and real estate investors. So he knows his stuff. Check it out. Thank you for coming on, David Green. You're an absolute stud. I really appreciate it. Hope you guys enjoy this. Have a great day. Welcome to the A-Game Podcast with Nick LaMagna. Digging into the minds and experiences of some of today's brightest entrepreneurs in real estate and business, along with Hollywood stars, UFC fighters, and your favorite rock bands. People that have figured out how to overcome obstacles, take chances, live boldly, and no matter what they do, they always bring their A-game. 
All right, my guest today on the A-Game podcast, I am very excited for. He is a former police officer, investor since 2009, buys properties all over the country, including single family, multifamily, commercial, notes, flips, and specializes in cash flow that his tenants pay down his debt for him. He is the founder of the David Green team, CEO of the top producing Keller Williams East County team, Keller Williams East County Rookie of the Year. Definitely reach out to him if you are looking to invest in any properties or need an agent in the California area. He also owns a mortgage company that can help you out on any properties in California. He is the co-host of the world-famous Bigger Pockets podcast, boasting over 100 million downloads, which is the most popular real estate podcast in the world, and the author of such books as The Burr Book, Buy, Rehab, Rent, Refinance, and Repeat, sold Every Real Estate Agent's Guide to Building a Profitable Business, and the number two place real estate book of the year, Long Distance Real Estate Investing. Featured on Entrepreneurs on Fire, Real Estate Rockstars, CNN, Forbes, HGTV, and more. He is a real estate black belt, a jujitsu white belt, and it's a huge honor to have you on today. Thank you so much for coming on the A-Game Podcast. Welcome, David Green. Thank you, Nick. You did that all in one breath. That's impressive. <laughs> Thank you, sir. So um, I doubt anybody doesn't know who you are at this point, but um, if you could just give a quick 30,000-foot snapshot a little bit on your background, and then I have so many things we can jump into. Yeah, I was uh, I was in love with basketball in high school. Uh, my career didn't turn out like I wanted it to. I think looking back, it was divine intervention. It put a really big fire inside me to go uh, be excellent at something else. I got into law enforcement after college. I'd saved up a lot of money in 2009. The housing market crashed. I happened to have a bunch of money. That whole saying, luck is when opportunity meets preparation, absolutely applied to me. I bought a property. I bought another property the next year. I just bought a property every year for the fourth year. I bought a fourplex, realized, holy cow, this thing's making me a 33% ROI. I need more of these. The market turned around on me. It got too hot in California to make any sense. So I started buying in Arizona. I started to learn how to buy rental properties in other states. I was too ignorant to know that you're not supposed to do that. I just didn't know that was a bad idea. And it seemed to work out just fine for me. So kept buying in Arizona. Then I moved out to Florida, started to really ramp up, started the Burr method out in Florida so I could just buy a house, get my capital back out, go into the next one. That's really when I became the black belt investor. It was just the repetitions of doing this over and over and over. Like anything you want to get good at in the world, you got to do it a lot. So uh, I wrote the books for Bigger Pockets, Long Distance Real Estate Investing, to kind of document the systems that I put in place to invest anywhere. I wrote the Burr book to talk about how to master every phase of real estate, buying, rehabbing, renting, refinancing, and then building systems, which would be the repeat. And I got to uh, host the Bigger Pockets podcast that really helped me step up my ability to articulate thought and connect with people. And I went from being a, a cop's cop to a uh, somewhat of like a public figure, I suppose. And uh, now I'm running a real estate team and a mortgage company and trying to be the, the top realtor and the top loan officer in California. I love it, man. And uh, just like anything else, how you do anything is how you do everything. So I'm sure you were going to be a force to be reckoned with on the jujitsu match, which we'll dig into <laughs> a little bit more too, man. But um, I'm always interested. You know, I, I love the story of the grind. You know, I've, I've heard you tell it a lot about, you know, you kind of saved your way to stuff and you looked at like 30 years from now, what's this going to be? But was there anything from being a police officer or going through law enforcement training or just some of the experiences you had in that industry that helped you or translated over to helping you in business and in real estate? It was specifically as a police officer, it didn't offer a whole lot when it comes to either investing or uh, being a salesperson in real estate. And I've often asked myself this question, trying to find a parallel between the two, because you would think logically speaking, there would be in almost everything in life, like everything else I did, there was a connection between like going to be an investor to an agent. That made sense. Agent to loan officer. That makes sense. Both of those to business person. That, that makes sense. 
Uh, I don't think that the, the police officer thing specifically had anything to do with them. What I think was I had some issues in my own life as far as lack of confidence, lack of self-esteem, um, a rough childhood. I didn't have a great relationship with my dad. And then, like I mentioned, my basketball career didn't turn out like I wanted. And I think law enforcement and the, the furnace that I went through to get into that really helped develop David from a boy into a man. And I think the confidence that came out of that Maybe the decisiveness that you have to exercise when you're in that situation. And, you know, maybe that's a good point there. The adaptability, I would say. Um, when you're in that situation, you don't get the luxury of knowing what's coming. You have to be familiar with, with you thought you were going to get one thing and you got another and you still have to make a great decision there. That may have helped me in the business world, but I think overall is more probably just the confidence that I had to take on a new challenge that you're forced to develop if you work in law enforcement. That's awesome, man. You know, I'm a big believer too, and sometimes doing things and learning what you don't want is just as good a teacher. So maybe, you know, obviously that wasn't where you wanted to stay, but you just touched on something I have on my notes that I definitely wanted to get into. Cause I think one of the biggest things that I see that separates those that are successful in anything that are not are the ability to make a decision. And that, that old quote, the road of life is filled with flattened squirrels who cannot make a decision, I think is like so true. And thank you for your service as a police officer. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate it. Yeah, I, I was trying to do something similar and you, you brought up an interesting point because one of the only police tests I failed was the easiest one out of all of them. And it was like a 30 question, multiple choice, one in five, one is always five is never. And I did two threes and fours and they were like, fail. I was like, what are you talking about fail? And they were like, we needed a one or a five for I always do this or I never do this. Anything that's a two, three and four is indecision and hesitation. And if you want to be a police officer, that's your life or somebody else's life. And I thought that that was an amazing point that like that indecision will get you killed in life and in business. What are some things that help you? Because obviously I'm sure everybody has the same fears of making the wrong decision, but how do you work yourself through tough decisions? It's so, so good of a question. I think it was developed in the area of law enforcement where hesitation does get literally get people killed. And even they're not, if people aren't getting killed, it can take a bad situation and turn it into a very bad situation by not making a decision. And I think anyone who's played a sport or trained in martial arts can kind of understand you have a life gives you small windows of opportunity to do something. And it does not care if you are not ready or you are scared or you don't think you're prepared or whatever issue you got going on between your two ears. Life's going to bring it when it when it comes and uh, playing sports like I realized that if that ball pops loose for a second and I'm in the right position, I can get it. If I'm not, I won't. And that could be the difference between that person scoring and, and us losing the game by two points. So I think. Law enforcement, in order to be good at it, you have to be get okay with knowing that you there's a lot of things you can't control and you can't be a perfectionist. Like perfectionism will get you in a bad situation. You just you don't have time to sometimes choose the absolute best decision that could possibly be made. Cause by the time you get to the conclusion, it's the situation's gotten really <laughs> bad. Now that person has the knife and you have to shoot them as opposed to had you acted earlier and taken them down, they would have never got the knife. And maybe they would be like, you know, scuffed up a little bit, but somebody didn't have to lose their lives because you acted quicker. And I think in business, I just came in with that understanding that I don't need to know everything about taking a listing to take a listing. I just got to be better than the next guy to feel good in my heart about I should be confident and go take it. So if I could find the average realtor in my office and I knew, well, I'm better than them, I felt confident to go tell somebody, let me sell your house. Um, and it, the same would go when I wanted to expand. I wanted to hire assistants. I wanted to train other people. I knew I could have maybe gone farther in my solo career before I did it, but I also recognized that 
there's no reason I need to completely cap out on my own potential before I go train other people. That's several years of time that someone else could have been developed. So as I was learning to be a better agent, I was also training. It's like, I didn't need to wait till I was a black belt before I started to teach my buddies uh, jujitsu or something like that. Right. Like there's something to be said for being a purple belt and trying to teach new people something that makes you better at learning yourself. And that was, I call it the barrel of monkeys approach that I sort of developed where <laughs> I always want like barrels, monkeys with little toys with like all these monkeys that link together. Right. <laughs> I always, I always want somebody above me that I'm linking a hold of that I'm learning from. And that keeps me humble. And I always want somebody below me that I'm holding on to that I'm pulling up because that keeps me confident. And as long as there's a connection between those two, I never get a big head and I never get too discouraged. If either of those connections break, that's the likelihood I'm, I'm likely to fall into of, you know, uh, I think I, I'm above reproach and no one can tell me anything or I don't go take more opportunities and more chances because I don't have enough confidence. Man, that's such a great answer. And that whole analogy you gave about life gave me chills, man. I love that. That's awesome stuff. So um, moving ahead, I know you you became an agent as well as a successful real estate investor and you've been wearing a little bit of both hats. For somebody starting out, one of the, the questions I get most often when somebody says, hey, I want to get into real estate investing, they ask, should I get my real estate license? Being that you are versed in both now, for somebody starting out new, what would your advice be for that? If somebody told you I want to get my black belt, should I go open a gym? What would you tell them? <laughs> Definitely not. No, they're not the same <laughs> thing. That's what I tell people all the time. Um, getting your license does not mean you are good at what you're actually doing. There's a lot of guys that practice like, uh, you know, a martial art or boxing or something that does not mean they teach it well. And there's a lot of people that teach it incredibly well, but that doesn't mean that they necessarily perform it well. Like John Dana here is a great example. He's regarded as one of the best coaches of jiu-jitsu in the world. We're talking about jujitsu a lot. I'm assuming your audience knows that you're into that. I'm not. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> portray myself as if that's my thing, right? But he can't perform it because of injuries that he's got, right? Don't mix up those those two worlds. So I think I know I don't. I wouldn't recommend somebody get their own law degree to save on lawyer fees. I wouldn't recommend somebody go to mechanic school to learn how to fix their own car for cheaper. Don't become an agent just because you want to save on commissions. I don't think that's a great idea. I think you become an agent if you want to make a living representing people and you're passionate about doing that. I think if you want to become a great investor, you focus on that. Just stay in the discipline that you're passionate about. Because as you know, to become a black belt in anything takes a ridiculous amount of commitment. There's going to be pain. There's going to be frustration. It's not always going to be fun. You have to really want it and really love it to get there. And that applies to business as well. It applies to relationships, right? I'm not married, but I know if I ever get married, that's a massive commitment you are making to make this thing work. That doesn't just happen on its own. So I would say to people, unless you're committed to both, you want to be really amazing at both. Just stick to one side. Awesome. That's a great answer. Uh, on the investment side, what is your favorite strategy as far as I know you've done tons of different things, but right now, what's something that you're particularly keen on? I adjust my strategies. I like that you said that right now, depending on what the defense gives me. Okay. I'm a big proponent of just like that, the flow mentality. It's not, well, I have this one move and it doesn't work. So I guess I just can't train or I have this strategy. The market doesn't support it. So I'm just going to complain. There's always something that works in any environment you're in. So when I first got into real estate, it was 2009, 2010, I was just going after foreclosures, but I would specifically target a foreclosure that had been in contract a few times and fallen out. So I wanted a house that had been in contract two or three times, fell out of it. The bank was done with it. 
And I could come in and just put a massive uh, earnest money deposit and say, listen, you're getting a ton of money. I'm not backing out of this thing, but you're going to take a haircut on that deal. And they would say, fine. They were just tired of it. And that worked for me for a while until foreclosures went away. Then it became the Burr method. There was, there was not a lot of foreclosures I could grab for cheap, but there was a lot of nasty, screwed up properties that nobody wanted. And I would target the ugliest house I could possibly find, just the most beat up, nasty thing. And I get it at a good price. So I had to get good at working with contractors. That was the skill set I would have to develop to make that work. Those were easy to burn because you could go in, buy it at a discount, fix it up. You've increased the value a ton, refinance, get your money back out. And as long as there was a nasty property that you could add value to, you could keep cycling it. Well, eventually we ate through all the nasty properties, right? And the market became so hot that everybody else wanted to buy those things too. It wasn't just me. Now I've moved into sort of <clears throat> another niche might be taking a single family house that I can turn into a duplex or a three unit property. The right floor plan, the right situation at ADU, I see an angle that somebody else wouldn't see. So to someone else, that house has a certain amount of value, but to me, it has more because I can use it better. So I'll target properties that are listed with 1400 square feet, but have a 600 square foot bonus room that's not included in the tax assessor's office and the agent didn't put it in the MLS. Because I'm going to take that bonus room, run a kitchenette and a bathroom to it and turn it into a separate unit that I can rent out. I have two sources of income now at cash flows for me or short term rentals. You can make a short term rental work out as long as it's in an area where you feel good about doing that long term, because those numbers are completely different than what it's like when you're doing a long term rental. Um, I also have moved into different asset classes. So I when the market got really, really hot, I started focusing more on building my businesses. Really the last three or four years, it's been building my real estate team and now building this mortgage team that generate a lot of active income. Well, when you've got active income, I can convert that into passive income by buying bigger properties that may not have this massive value at play, but the tax savings that I get that shields the money that I made over here makes that a really good deal for me where it might not be for somebody else. So you're always thinking instead of just like, well, I got this one move, what can I do? At a certain point, the defense figures out you're running Jerome Bettis right down their throats over and over and over. And they go bring in three huge linebackers to plug up that hole, right? That's when you got to run a play action. And as long as you make peace with the fact that your environment changes, so you got to change, which probably comes back to law enforcement, you know, you think you're going to a call of abdominal pain and you get there and it turns out that means they were stabbed in the stomach with a knife and there's a person running around crazy trying to stab people. Now you're actually on like an attempted murder scene. The, the quicker that we as humans make peace with the fact that that's what life is, that it is not guaranteed to us that it's a spreadsheet, that if I put in this formula, I will get this result all the time the more that these angles just start to pop out in your own head. So kind of what I'm doing now is building an ecosystem. I, I look at how this type of property affects my overall portfolio. Maybe I get really top heavy on single family homes that have a lot of equity, but they don't cash flow. Well, I can take some of that equity and use a line of credit that I can use to go buy um, a value add property or flip houses to generate more income, I'll take that income and I'll buy a bigger commercial property with that income that now is very stable and has higher cash flow, but it's probably not going to have a ton of uh, value add or equity added to it. But with that property, I've shielded the income that I'm making from these other businesses so I can make more money and not get taxed at 50% of it. I've got more money to keep. Where can I go invest that? I'm sort of looking at how all the pieces fit together. And uh, that's why I think I'm not as frustrated in the hot market as a lot of some of the novices are. Man, you just touched on so many key things. So one of them being just like jujitsu, man, when I look at black belts, I tell everybody, 
the other black belts don't tap me out with stuff that I've never seen before. It's the same stuff. It's just that they're thinking five, six, seven steps ahead, and they have two or three moves already that they chain together to make that happen. And that's exactly what you just said with your real estate deal. It's like, I can take this, I can do here. He moves here, I go for the arm. He takes away the arm, I go for the neck. And I think that that comes from exactly being that with the black belt and just being able to position. And I think too many people try and see something on HGTV or they try and fit that square peg into that round hole. And when it doesn't work and they get frustrated, they go, "Mm -mm, no, no, my, my uncle was right. This isn't gonna work, I quit. And then they wanna walk away. But I also hear a lot of complaints about the market it's the market. If it's not the market, it's my area. And like you and Brandon, for instance, I mean, Northern California and freaking Maui. Like if you guys are able to make real estate work there, you can make it anywhere. I don't care what strategy it is, where somebody lives, there is a way to make it work. You just have to be creative. You have to think outside the box and you, you can't be scared to, to kind of get away from the stuff that's comforting to you. After interviewing so many people on Bigger Pockets, what kind of, of, advice do you give to people who are getting frustrated with their market being too hot or too saturated, too competitive right now? If you have been kicking yourself that you didn't start investing in real estate soon, whether you're beginner, intermediate, or advanced, any way you're looking to get it on a residential, commercial, land development, wholesaling, fix and flips, whatever it is, let's find a way to get you involved in some projects, get you some properties, whether you want to sell some properties to me, whether you want to buy some properties from me, whether residential, fix and flip, cash flow, multifamily, whatever it is you're looking for, let's figure out a way to get you involved or find a way for us to partner up on some deals. Go to www.nicknicknick.com, go on the consultation tab and figure out how to schedule an appointment to talk about where you fit in if you are not sure, or you can just reach out to me on any of my social media channels. If you go on www.nicknicknick.com links, you will see all the different ways to connect with me and figure out how we can start to work together, make it happen. Everybody that invests in real estate always just says they wish they did it sooner. Best time to start is today. It's very similar to what you would tell me if I said, man, I keep going for to, to take his back and I can't get it, right? You would look at that and say, well, you don't have an opening to take his back. And the reality is the reason I think I can is because I roll with Brandon, who's like maybe got a year ahead of me of, of a jujitsu, not that much, and isn't as probably driven as me. So by sheer force, I can just take his back a lot of the time. Brandon's like a twig, right? I can just like pick him up, move him around and just, and I didn't really earn it. I just gooned my way into it. All right. And at times there, that will work in the investing world as well. I just saved up a bunch of money and put it down and boom, it cash flow because I put a massive amount of money down. I did it the dirty way. Well, the guy that I'm training with now, he's a black belt and it is maddeningly frustrating because I feel like he just slices through me like a knife through butter. Like I'll take side control. I'll be super proud of myself. And in four seconds, he's out of it. And I'm like scrambling to keep him from mounting me. And I don't know how he's doing it. But if you watched it, Nick, you'd be like, David, like you're so sloppy. You're leaving these openings that are wide open. It's very easy for this person to move things around to get there you have to understand the totality of what is going on. And you would, Nick, and I don't. When I'm rolling, I just know how it feels in that moment. I just know what I'm experiencing, but I don't really, the pieces aren't clicking because I'm new. I'm taking a couple private lessons. When you look at real estate, you've got to understand it is affected by the economy as a whole. It is affected by other investment options that other people have or don't have, okay? So for instance, the stock market doing amazing or venture capitalist funds giving incredible returns is makes less people likely to go invest into real estate. There's less competition. Well, if the people lose confidence in that, they're more likely to go get into real estate. Um, it's affected by tax code. 
it's affected by the political environment and who is president and what people think that that president's going to do when it comes to the economy overall. It's affected by stimulus. So when we're, we're in a market right now where I don't think houses have really hardly been built at scale since 2007. All right. So for 13, 14 years, there have not been inventory in the country as a whole that has been produced that is even close to sufficient. But for 14 years, if you take the average age someone buys a house, say like 27 years old or something like that, you've had 14 years of people turning 27. There's still demand that people need. Even if we stopped having babies right now, it would take a long time before that would catch up to the lack of supply we have. So I'm looking at it and understanding prices aren't coming down because there's not enough supply and there's a ton of demand. And when interest rates are low and the government's printing stimulus and giving it away, it just supercharges the whole thing. There's an argument to be made for buying a property that doesn't cash flow right away, but in five years, the rents are going to go up so much that you're going to be looking great. So what I would tell people is if that's what you're looking at, set your life up so that you can live where your property might lose you a little bit of money, live beneath your means, and you can survive for five years, and then you're going to be sitting pretty. I think a lot of people just think, well, I need a property that cash flows day one, and it's going to give me a 12% return, and it's going to be in a great area. They just have these ridiculous expectations. Then the minute you start rolling with a black belt, you realize that that was not realistic, right? I'm, <laughs> I cannot expect that out of the situation that I'm getting. So when we interview our guests, what I'm noticing is every one of them is in a different area with a different strategy and has adjusted their strategy to fit what is available. Their mindset is, I will change me and my expectations to fit the environment that I've been given. And boom, they're seeing angles. They're seeing ways to take something. That, you know, When I'm rolling with Justin, that's what he's doing to me. He's like, David is super heavy on his chest. That means he's not on his legs. I kick his legs right out of the way. That's why he's out in four seconds. Um, I would say the best advice I can give for the new investors is to not get discouraged that your thing's not working. Where are you missing what's happening in the rest of the economy? Do you see how all the pieces fit that are making the market do what it's doing? That's great advice, man. And, and I know you you really found a way to scale up with what you did. What were some of the key things you did to go from doing a couple a year to a couple a month? The Burr method was, was huge for that. So I could recycle the same capital. What I recognized was I'm working 100 hours a week as a cop, which is great, but I'm getting half that money taken in taxes, which is not great. <laughs> it's not healthy for me. And if I work this much, I can buy maybe three houses a year. Often it was two. Well, if I, instead of putting 50, 60 grand down on every house, if I just save up 110,000, I could buy a house, fix it up, refinance it, put that same money back into place. <clears throat> and I could buy two to three houses a year with the same seed money and then save up another 110 grand or take out a line of credit on other properties I had to get that and start another round of two to three houses a year with that capital. So I stopped looking at it like, get a bunch of seeds, plant them in the ground, and then have to go get more seeds. It was up, I'm going to grow this thing. It's going to grow. I'm going to harvest it. I'm going to replant that. And I'm going to get more and more trees. And I started to grow orchards. And I just, it, I had to change my strategy to where if I'm going to do this, I have to find beat up houses. If I'm going to find beat up houses, I have to have a realtor with an eye for good neighborhoods and uh, willing to just be a workhorse on the MLS looking for me. I couldn't just go to any realtor. I needed a, spe a specialist in this thing. Okay, I've got the houses. I need a person who's really good with, with rehab that sees the, the vision for what I need and isn't going to kill me on the price. I had to go through a couple of contractors before I found the right one. I had those in place. I need a lender 
that will let me borrow at 75% loan of value so that I can get the majority of my money out and redeploy it. And I would go through several lenders, several contractors, several agents until I finally got the right one. I, I think a lot of people just don't want that. They want push a button and get a result. They call a realtor, they call a lender, they're told no, and they go, well, I guess it doesn't work. <laughs> Yeah, it's incredible. The the, the struggle and, and just working around things. And it's it's amazing how people will just tap out quick. And again, that's that's where I think for me, jujitsu is so huge because it allows you to to deal with that rejection, deal with that resistance and still keep going and find a way out, um, which, you know, speaking of the burn method, some of the resistance I had, what are some tips you have for refinancing out? Because I like when people come to me and they say they want to do that, I'll tell them, go talk to the lender first to see what their requirements are to refi you. So that way you can kind of reverse engineer it and make sure you can get out of that property. That's the biggest mistake is people wait to talk to the lender until they already have a ton of skin in the game. You should talk to them way before you ever start this and say, pre-approve me right now and have them tell you, well, you don't have enough income or you need to pay off this debt or we don't do houses in that area or you know, you're going to have a six month seasoning period or something so you don't get yourself into a hard money loan that you got to pay on for six months know what your end result is before you sort of step into the the situation that's one of them and the second is and i really believe this is set your life up around your goals don't just pick a goal that works for the life you already have i don't know how to better articulate that but that's just something i see from people that are not successful is they're looking for a person or a job or a situation that works for who they are right now okay that's how you get like Remember those like ads 20 years ago for like the thigh master or those like, <laughs> it was like, get a great body without having to work hard. That was what the thing is. And that ne never worked until CrossFit came out and just started crushing people. And you would see these freaks and they, how did you do that? Well, I go to a really hard workout all the time and they would adjust their lives around their workout. They would take jobs that had flexibility and they would meal prep on the weekends and they would have physical therapists to keep them healthy. Like you could see this person's committed to whatever this thing is to get the result. I would say that's what we need to do, okay? Like set up your life where you're gonna drive a used car and you're going to live modestly and you're gonna sacrifice some of the creature comforts to have a really big reserve set up so you can go roll the dice and make some mistakes and not not get taken out right off the bat. Um, and if you're not willing to do that, you, you've, you've accepted that you're gonna be frustrated from sucking at whatever your goal is all the time so that you didn't have to be frustrated by uh, telling yourself no. Man, I love that. That's great advice. You know, one of the things that I I really, more than anything, stuck out with you and Brandon is over the years, you know, you hear partnerships are sinking ships and there's only a couple of guys that I've seen that have been able to really mix work and friendship on a close level like that. Like Matt Sarah and Ray Longo are a great example of it, of like 20, 25 years. But you and Brandon seem to have something that you still enjoy each other's company. You, you guys post videos and stuff. It looks like you truly enjoy like hanging out and spending time together where a lot of the partners and friendships that I've had when business got involved and money was there and then there was an expectation for kind of pulling each other's weight, it really hasn't worked out well for me in the past, but you seem to have made it work. What is some advice you guys can give to people that are partnering up to really make sure that you maintain that friendship and that business respect at the same time? Oh, that's a really good one. Uh, I think just to be completely blunt, the reason Brandon and I's friendship survives as we also succeed in business probably has to do with like strength of character more than a strategy. So Brandon is my best friend. He's one of like my favorite people in the world. And 
I look at him as the person who gave me the opportunity, right? Like that person taught me jujitsu and put me in this position. Maybe like the guys you were mentioning, the, uh, the uh, Gary Tonin and uh, Gordon Ryan, they're going to look at John Danaher. Like, even if they hit a point where they feel like they have opportunity elsewhere, there's enough loyalty to him from what he did that they're not going to burn him. I think with Brandon, because I like him, I want to see Brandon succeed. I feel like I won if I can get Brandon a victory. It's not Brandon or, or me because I look at us like we're the same thing type of a deal. And if Brandon loses, in a way, I feel like I lost, right? Like I'm feeling the pain that Brandon is feeling. And because of that, naturally, we make decisions or at least I make decisions in a way that I think would benefit Brandon as well. And he's the same way. Brandon's conscience is so strong. If he did anything that was that was wrong by me, he wouldn't be able to sleep at night. So I don't really have to set up this situation where he can't burn me or, you know, I need like a, a stack of papers this thick to protect myself from what's going on because his character is so strong that he wouldn't do something that would benefit him at my expense. He's only going to benefit himself if it benefits me or at least is neutral to me and the other way around. When you have a friendship that's based on that instead of just, well, this is mutually beneficial, I feel like you're much more likely to get ahead. And, and looking at someone's character is an underrated business aspect. I was talking to someone on my team about why some agents succeed on the David Green team and others don't. And a huge component of it is if I give them direct training, okay, if there's a bunch of white belts rolling around on the mat, and I'm paying attention to this one every time, they're more likely to keep coming, right? That, that progress that they're going to see and that encouragement they're going to get from the sensei is going to make them want to keep coming. They, that, that sensei determines who's going to succeed and who's not by who they talk to. And I make that determination oftentimes by how loyal I think that person is. If I get the feeling that you're coming here to learn everything I have and leave and go do it on your own, I'm not going to invest in you. You're a rental property. I, I rent you. I don't, I don't own you. I'm not putting a lot of money into you. The people who are like, no, I'm down for the cause and I'm going to do this. That's who John Dana here is going to pour into. He's going to give them his best coaching. So what I was telling someone is you got to look at loyalty as if it's just as important as talent or skill or intelligent or everything else, because they can have all those things. But if they're not loyal, you're not, you're going to recognize that and subconsciously not pour into them. And I believe Brandon's loyal to me. And I believe Brandon believes that I'm loyal to him. And we've proven that several times to each other when our actual, you know, feet hit the fire. So if you're someone who's like, man, I can't find a partner, maybe you need to look at, am I perceived as not loyal? Can people tell that I'm just trying to show up and learn all your moves and then take them to the gym across town? Man, I, I love that. I watch that sometimes when you see the fighters that go, they're at this camp, this camp, and this camp, and this camp, and this camp. And it's always, I lost my fight because it's like, they never look inside as like, well, maybe it's not every gym in the world and every trainer in the world sucks. Maybe I have to change something of myself. And that's not always the easiest thing to do. So I, I absolutely love that answer. I would oh, say I, the I, one thing I've noticed in life is that people treat you the way that they think you're treating them, the way they perceive you are, right? So I first noticed this when I had good motives, but people couldn't tell because I just was, I don't show my cards. That's a cop <laughs> thing, right? I don't want anyone to know what I'm thinking. And I realized that was not in my own best interest because everyone assumed that I had bad motives. So I, I had to recognize people will treat me based on how they perceive me treating them. And at the same time, I realized I can make anybody on team David if they see that I'm on their team. If they tell I want them to succeed, they won't be able to help but want me to succeed back. And that's just a piece of advice I would share for anyone. If you're not, if you don't care about making sure that the people in your camp win, they know that 
and they are not going to care about if you win. I love that. And with the stuff you guys are putting out, I mean, the amount of, I get emails constantly about these webinars that you're doing for like experience stuff or getting into multi-units or getting your first rental property. And then all the content on the Bigger Pockets podcast, I think you definitely, more than anybody, the content you guys are putting out there for free to help investors. There's nobody I talk to anymore that hasn't told me that they started out by listening to the Bigger Pockets podcast or reading one of your books or listening to one of Brandon's webinars. So, you know, I think that definitely is why people gravitate towards you. That's awesome. I think Josh Dorkin figured it out that he basically brought that culture when he started Bigger Pockets. He said, we're going to do the right thing. We're not going to oversell people. We're not going to become gurus. We're going to keep our site clean from predators that want to come in. And it took them probably eight to 10 years to get that thing off the ground. But now they've got a, you know, a juggernaut on their hands because people trust that brand. Yeah, I love that, man. As far as the Bigger Pockets podcast, first off, congratulations, man. It's a, a massive, massive hit. And it's awesome. And I very much appreciate that you guys have me on. How is it for you being a guest versus being a host. Cause like I had all these things I was going to say. And then when we got on there, I almost feel like I blacked out. And then after I was like, why don't I answer like that? Like, it, it was so weird afterwards. I was like, what, what happened? What did I do? But it was a totally different experience being a guest than it was being a host. I thought you did great by the way. Oh, thanks, we, we both were like, Oh, he made this easy. Um, <laughs> I, I much prefer being a guest. I think that I naturally like to teach and explain. And when I'm a guest, I have the ability to do that. When I'm the host, you're more trying to pull out of the guest um, what they have to share. And so like with you, you make it easy because you're very articulate, you say things well, but every once in a while you get a guest that just doesn't, they haven't had the practice taking the thoughts in their head and put it into words that people can digest. So there's sort of pressure on you in those situations when you're the host to take what they said and made it look better than it was, right? Like, let me Photoshop that a little bit for you so that it, it looks good. And I, I prefer to be on this side of it. Nice, nice. As far as that, I mean, you guys have talked to the who's who from just every industry. Is there a specific guest that, like, for instance, Kobe Bryant, I heard him on the Jordan Harbinger show. And after listening to him, my entire impersonation and impression of who he was and what he was about completely changed and became a massive fan. I was really impressed. Is there any guest that you had that maybe you had a preconceived notion of, or you didn't expect to go as a different direction that just changed your mind or inspired you in a different way? Ed Milet was a lot more uh, genuine than I was expecting, which is nothing against Ed. It was just my impression. I didn't expect him to be as down to earth as he was as for as successful as he is. Um, I really like that. We did Tim Grover, the guy who trained Michael Jordan. We did, I don't know if that's released yet, but that was an incredible one. Tim was a, just a very impressive person. And I was, I love that he doesn't have to bring a game to a real estate podcast when he's not a real estate person, but he did. And Ryan Serhant, who's a real estate agent on a TV show. I was sort of expecting it to be all fluff and no content. And dude, that dude brought, he, I was impressed with how much really good practical advice that he gave to uh, both real estate agents and investors. Dude, I, to be completely transparent, was going to blow past that episode. <laughs> and I listened to it and I loved it. His whole thing about like, you don't work for the buyer, you don't work for the seller, you work for the deal, like all those things. I was like, holy crap, like this is, this is great. Like that was a great episode, man. I agree. That's awesome. I was expecting plastic and, and Ryan <laughs> definitely impressed me. Cool. Is, is there a bucket list guest or a dream guest that you have not had on yet that you would like to? Oh, I forgot to mention Jocko Willink, which I expected oh, yeah. him to be good, but he he was just probably my favorite guest that we've interviewed. He, he's one of the only guys to turn me down so far, so we don't talk about him on this podcast. He's tough, man. <laughs> I, I mean, I had to chase him for like nine months, and literally, you know how I got him was we had a Bigger Pockets listener in Southern California who 
I got to know that rolls with Jocko and he basically while rolling brought it up in the middle of their role and Jocko finally was like okay I'll check these guys out nice. so uh yeah that one is pretty cool uh what was your question you asked me though I just forgot bucket list guest bucket list guest ah shoot man there's so many of them that I would love to have uh Jocko was one of them that's what that's what made me think of that I have been wanting to get both Huron and Henner Gracie on. We're getting close with Huron. I think that they're, uh, the way they articulate thought as well as their mindset is very unique and valuable. Um, and they're just so encouraging. They've got that gift where you believe you could do anything when you listen to those guys talk. So I'd love to have them. I think Donald Trump would be a really good guest because he has a real estate background yeah. and he has a different way of looking at things. Uh, he's, he's obviously like a polarizing figure, but I just think as far as the content we could get out of him, it would be good. I'd love to get Ben Shapiro on there. Um, he, he has a unique mindset. I think he'd be a good guest for the mindset episode because he's so, it's very hard to ruffle Ben's feathers, man. Like he just makes his opinion based on data and a lot of real estate investors sort of are drawn to that. So I'd, I'd like to get him. And then, um, I can't think if there's anybody else that I think would just be like, I'd go crazy. I really wanted Patrick Bet David. I was really excited when we got him. I really like to listen to that guy talk. Is there any names you think I'm missing here? No, man, those are great names. And then uh, speaking of which, uh, a couple guys said to say hello to you. I told them that we were talking about them on the last podcast. Al Jermaine, the Funk Master Sterling, Chris Weidman, both said to say hello to you. And, uh, you know, Raging Ally Quinte, he's been getting in, involved in real estate too. So I love watching all the uh, the athletes kind of transition over and they're all big fans of you and your podcast. We have more of those than what I thought. There's a lot of UFC guys, uh, NBA players, NFL players that listen to the podcast and they reach out. That's been very cool. I think both Aljamain and Chris are dealing in different ways with, you know, some like hurdles that have popped up. Aljamain had a really weird ending to his last fight and he's taken a lot of shade online for, for how that went down. And uh, I, I know him a little bit and I think people are going to be surprised with how he bounces back. That, that dude has a great attitude. And then obviously Chris, like what, what are the odds of what happened to him with going from uh, being on one end of it with Anderson Silva to literally having the same thing happen was crazy so i just feel like god's got something going on in his life and i'm excited to see what it is yeah me too man he, he's one of the nicest guys i've known him for forever i actually just shipped him out like 12 deep dish pizzas from chicago and i just sent him a note i said hey man pizza heals all wounds he'll feel better dude cool uh, this is awesome he, looks man. Like he hasn't eaten pizza in like two years though dude, he looks he's been training hard yes life, he did <laughs> yeah it's a shame ever wanted to play the drums or do you want to get your kids some drum lessons to burn some of that energy while they are all locked up? Take advantage of a free drum lesson with one of the tri-state area's most respected drummers, Dan LaMagna. Dan LaMagna has played in such bands as Crown of Thorns, Suicide City, Biohazard, The Real McKenzie's, Sworn Enemy, The Walls of Jericho. He has played all over the world and he is also endorsed by such companies as DW, Vader, and Sabian. Dan has taught Tons of people from all different age groups and all different music styles. He can teach adults, kids, advanced, beginner, any types of styles from metal, all different types of percussion, whatever style you want. Get a free drum lesson today from Dan. All you need to do is text the word drummer, D-R-U-M-M-E-R, to 833-632-0585. Again, text the word drummer, D-R-U-M-M-E-R, to the number 833-632-0585. 0585 for your free online drum lesson. So I like to call this the victory lap and just kind of roll through some last questions. And I changed a little bit because I wanted to ask you about your famous four that you usually ask everybody else. I figure I'd switch it around a little bit. So 
starting off, what's your favorite real estate related book? As odd as it is, I don't read a ton of real estate books. I really like The Millionaire Real Estate Agent, which isn't for investors. It was written for agents, but it's so good at breaking down how to build a business. I feel like investors can still get a lot of value out of that book. Cool. Favorite business book? It would be so good they can't ignore you or pitch anything. Both of those books I think are phenomenal. Um, they both highlight, well, so good. They can't ignore you is exactly what it sounds like. It's like, look, if you want to write your ticket to anything you want in life, get really good at something and you can name your price and pitch anything breaks down the psychology of how our brains process information. and gives a really good practical advice for how to get your point across to other people. Awesome. Hobby outside of real estate. Man, I have so many businesses now. I spend most of my time working on those. Uh, like I'm learning jujitsu. So that's something I would say that could be a hobby. I like to lift weights and I like to, uh, like trail running, I would probably say is something I do quite a bit of now. Cool. What separates those that are successful from those that are not? <clears throat> the ability to make a decision. That's probably a really <laughs> big one, right? Like it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be flawless. It's okay. If you learn from the decision you made, you still made a good decision. The only thing you should be afraid of is not making a decision. You don't want to be that flat squirrel. I love that, man. Just a couple more quick ones. One, um, what advice would you give to somebody trying to get into real estate or chase a dream that has unsupportive friends and family? You want to take advice on anything you do from a person who's good at doing it. Okay. I would say the best advice that I would give is that when people tell you don't do it, they're not bad people they are giving you the advice that they follow themselves, okay? It is true, if you never invest in real estate, you can't lose the money that you have. It is also true, not investing in real estate is the same as losing money because there's a lot of, of wealth you could have built had you gone to do something. If you told me, hey, David, I, I wanna go train boxing or I wanna go train jujitsu and I was your mom, I, my primary concern is you don't get hurt, okay? So I'm gonna tell you every single time, don't go do it. But that might lead to you having diabetes or you getting overweight or you, you know, getting hurt in a confrontation because you didn't train that because this person tried to save you from some pain, they guaranteed you'd have worse pain later. So I just, whenever I'm giving given advice, I try not to make myself a victim. Oh, no one believes in me. I hate this whole concept. There's haters that are out there and everyone hates on everybody else. No, man, people just do what they think is in their, is in their best interest. And oftentimes what they believe is in your best interest. But if you're looking at someone and you don't love the life they have, then you probably don't want to be taking advice from that person. That's great advice. Um, last question, just what advice would you give a younger you today? Uh, I would have said be way more aggressive, way more. I can, I can count on the times of being aggressive burned me and it's hardly ever. Um, I can count on the times I should have been more aggressive and I didn't and there's a lot of those. So I, I look back and I had no family, no one to, I had tons of money saved up. I had very low living expenses. I should have been scaling huge and I would have been fine, but I kept thinking worst case scenario, worst case scenario. So um, I try to tell myself that now, like you need to be pushing, you need to be expanding. The economy is great. You don't know how long it's going to be there because I wish that I had been that way more often in the past. Dude, you fired me up today. I love this. I'm going to listen to this again right after. I really enjoyed this. How do people find you? How do people work with you? Uh, California, Bigger Pockets, podcasts, books, all kinds of things. Talk. How do people connect with David Green? 
Thank you for that. If you go to Bigger Pockets, there's a messaging system on there. You can find me on Bigger Pockets and message me. If you find me on social media, I'm David Green24. There's an E at the end of Green, and that's everywhere Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever people like to do. Those would be the best ways. I also have a website, davidgreen24.com. If you just click on connect, there's a thing where if you're in California, you want to talk about buying or selling real estate or get a loan, uh, come to us through there. We get in touch with you really fast. That's outstanding, man. And for the first five people that listen to this podcast and leave a positive review, I will buy them the book of choice that David Green wrote to get started in real estate. They're awesome topics. I love everything you guys are doing. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I look forward to connecting you guys more. Any final thoughts before I let you go about your day? I would say listen to more of what Nick has to say. I really enjoyed interviewing the podcast. That's why I asked if you wanted to do this one here. I just really like your, your thought process, your mindset, the way you speak. I can tell that your heart is in the right place and your head is in the right place too. So I'm sure you're giving great advice and people should listen to more of it. I very much appreciate that, man. I was blown away when I got that email. I was like gushing. I was like, oh my God. Yes, definitely. <laughs> I, was, I was embarrassed to ask. So man, I really appreciate it. You guys have been great. Um, I'll put all the show notes for the ways to link up to your websites and find everything on there. It's been an absolute blast, man. I wish you the best of luck. I'll keep listening. I'll always be a fan of you guys both. Have a great day, Mr. David Green. Thank you, David.